it's the Heidi Harris Show. Welcome. Glad to have you here. I do this podcast a couple of times a week. I also do a live radio show in St. Louis on Sunday nights on 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. And during the week, I do a little thing called Headlines with Heidi, where I do little videos, 10, 15 minutes, talking about some Vegas issues or some national issues, local issues. I keep them short because I know that's what people like. And I'm having a good time with that. I put them on YouTube, Vimeo, and ultimately everything goes at HeidiHarris.com. So if YouTube uh, brats get triggered, you can find them at HeidiHarris.com. This last week, I chatted with legendary journalist John L. Smith. He and his family go back multiple generations in Vegas, and he's a very well-respected journalist, uh, author, and uh, he knows where all the bodies are buried. So I wanted to talk to him about who he thinks is in the barrel. Thank you for joining me, John. Good to see you. It's great to see you, Heidi, and thanks for the invitation. This is a lot of fun. Well, I always appreciate your expertise because you're always involved. By the way, you write for the Nevada Independent and a lot of other publications, and you have for many, many years authored many books. And I mean, anybody in Vegas knows who you are. You're a legend. So interesting story in the RJ they did the other day where they were talking about who possibly could be in the barrel. Uh, I talked uh, the other day, I was talking to Phil Ramos, you know, about the Margaret Rudin thing. You know, obviously he was one of the detectives on there. We were talking about that. At that point, they really didn't know. I did find it funny that Oscar Goodman, when told the guy was wearing Kmart clothes, said, well, that couldn't be a mobster. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that stuff. So tell me what, what about this. Apparently, there's somebody you suspect could be in this barrel, and it's Johnny Pappas you think might be the guy, and apparently you knew him as a kid? Uh, I did know him uh, as a young person. He was a friend of my family and my mom and dad. He was into uh, Democratic Party politics, and uh, he was kind of a constant presence around uh, the, uh, the, you know, like the retail politics of the day. Uh, he was a volunteer and that sort of thing. He also was a guy on the strip, kind of a, of a glad hander and a marketing guy, a person who uh, worked at a number of different casinos. But uh, in the mid 70s, he was, of course, very close to Alan Glick oh. at Stardust. And that's the Argent Corporation. Johnny Pappas was uh, uh, a guy who uh, was well known, also had uh, uh, organized crime connections. Uh, and so you you're uh, in the that which was, of course, as you remember, was not all that surprising in that era. Lots right. of folks had uh, their connections. They how uh, however they came to town. Uh, and so he was one of those people who in 1976, really when when uh, when Argent Corporation and the Stardust uh, was fractured by the Gaming Control Board and and the FBI and Metro, uh, you know, Pappas uh, is one of two people, key players around the Stardust who disappeared in the okay. summer of 1976. One of them was a man named Jay Vandermark, who was the slot machine uh, manager, or he basically was the slot manager. He controlled the skimming of millions of dollars of uh, from the slot machines, uh, and he disappeared very quickly. Rumors immediately saying he went to Mexico. Well, he maybe he went to Mexico, and maybe he went to the lake. Uh, and, and as for Johnny Pappas, a, a few weeks later, he also disappeared very, very suddenly. He said uh, he told his wife that. Uh, there's some fellows who want to buy my boat. Uh, he also had managed a uh, uh, the, one of the marinas uh, that they had big plans for in the back in the day. They were going to have a casino out there, and he, that was one of his projects. Uh, he was an insider. 
in Glick's world and he disappeared as well. Never found. I've interviewed members of his family who uh, never, of course, never heard from him again and have wondered all these years and wondered, frankly, whether anybody really bothered to look right. uh, because of his own notoriety at that time. So interesting. It, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I'm certainly not saying that it that it's him. I have no, no, you're not. But you're, you're just talking about some, some of the people who were famous who disappeared at that time, or no, or notorious who disappeared right. at that time. That's all. You know, and and also Heidi, I would I would want to add that Las Vegas is an an enormously transient town, as you know. Lots of overnight successes come here. Lots of folks seeking a second chance. Lots of people on the lam. Uh, they come. They stay. They leave. They don't put down roots. Uh, that now that's changed a great deal as the community's gotten larger, but a lot of folks uh, don't put down roots when they come to Vegas. They think they're going to go and and kick a little butt, and in reality, you know, they wind up busting out. Right. Uh, so I've also said in interviews that you know this could just as easily be a cheating husband or somebody who was behind on a debt uh, that got canceled. So so you never know what's going on until they they. Uh, they run the, those DNA checks and hopefully they'll get an answer. Now, so in the case of Johnny Pappas, if it's Johnny Pappas, I would imagine, are there family members or relatives alive that they could do a DNA check on? And have they not done that to this point? I mean, what, what, what do you know about where we are in the investigation? Well, I interviewed uh, two of his daughters fairly early on and uh, Metro had its cold case detective, Phil Ramos, who is, who is very experienced. I love him. Know, yeah, I mean, hundreds of cases and, and a very uh, a very strong uh, investigator. So you've got uh, that department looking at it. And now we've, of course, we've seen it expand, uh, taking advantage of some of the technologies and insight that the FBI has. Uh, so they're they're definitely looking at this. And but it but it takes time, you know, uh, you know, on CSI. They, they solve the puzzle in 30 or 60 minutes. Uh, and, and in reality, these things take a lot longer usually. Yeah, because of the they've got to go through all the DNA and all that kind of thing. I hope they solve this case because there obviously are a lot of people missing in Vegas. And it used to be when I was a kid growing up here, and you were too, they'd find bodies all the time in the desert. In fact, yeah. I have a friend who worked at Spanish Trail when it was being built in the 80s. And she said the cops were out there every week. She said they found no less than two dozen bodies out there, skeletons out there at Spanish Trail, which for those who don't know, is Tropicana and Rainbow, which was booty land when you and I were kids. I mean, Rainbow was a dirt road when I was a kid. Right. And you and I, so it's way out there at that time. And so it, we used to find them in the desert all the time. And then as the, the town got farther out, we didn't find a lot of bodies. And I remember talking about this on the radio one time. And I said, I wonder why, we don't find any bodies in the desert. You don't hear anything. And I had people calling my show, John, and they said, we find them all the time. We just throw them in the dumpster. Wow. <laughs> Skeletons. And then people were calling, you're not giving the family closure. And then, then, then the guys, the construction guys were saying, hey, listen, we don't want it to be an Indian relic. We don't want to have to stop the entire site and whatnot. So you can decide for yourself whether or not that's ethical. But they said they still find them out there. Uh, and it was interesting. Why would somebody, do you think, put a body in a barrel and sink it? Because at that time, that was about, the estimates are that body was about half a mile from the shoreline at the time, correct? Is that the what I've heard? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it's it's interesting. Uh, I drove out near that area a few weeks ago after this, after this story broke. And it's fascinating. And so uh, as a, as a local, 
so disheartening mm. to see how far the lake has fallen. It's terrible. You know, as you as you, as you um, descend toward the waterline, you can you can drive fairly close. You can drive uh, places that were fifty or sixty feet underwater. <laughs> you wow. know, and, and so you see that a person uh, who whoever did this to this person and put him in the barrel and sunk the barrel, they didn't expect it ever to be found. Right. You know, that would have been in a hundred feet of water, uh, you know, in a very murky lake, very hard to see it at Lake Mead. It's a, it's a very murky uh, lake. So you, you've got all of those factors. Uh, <coughs> clearly, someone didn't want him to be found. And, and uh, that, that speaks to a level of, um, you know, security precaution, paranoia, perhaps, uh, that, uh, you know, that, and it, it would apply to a lot of different th situations, but of course it applied to, um, in that era of, of uh, the 1976 era, where those people disappeared so quickly. And yeah. uh, there was so much at stake, as you know, from knowing the background, you know, Argent Corporation was funded by the Teamsters Pension Fund, uh, it was very connected to Chicago, Cleveland, Kansas City, and elsewhere. And so you have all of those people who are not interested in going back to prison. Uh, and when they sounded the alarm, a lot of things uh, moved very quickly. Mm, that's an interesting point that you make, because some of these people were just expendable and they throw the skeleton in the desert and in a shallow grave like Al Bramlett with an arm sticking out. Uh, and maybe right. they got found. Maybe they didn't get found. But these guys like like this who were put in the barrel, who were intended to never be found, that that tells you a little bit more about what you know who they possibly were or the fact that it was better to have them just disappear than ever be discovered dead for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that that's a complicator for investigators. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been the first time that someone uh, had a copycat murder. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if someone was, you know, knew about that uh, in that era, you know, uh, there's a, a famous uh, a murder of Johnny Roselli, uh, who was a very uh, big organized crime figure in Las Vegas but also uh, nationally, he wound up uh, in a bay uh, uh, outside Miami Beach. Um, and so, so that, you know, there was, there, there's certainly precedence to this body in a barrel business within the mob. Uh, but, uh, you know, those, those folks are, are put uh, in that situation. Uh, you know, they're not supposed to be found. And of course, uh, that's just not the case because this, oh, yeah. uh, this is the, the mystery. And, I, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if Metro can catch a break on it. I hope so. I remember my dad telling me the stories about people who drown out there. And I remember him telling me a story. I don't even remember who it was because I was a little kid, but somebody who whose father was a big executive at a casino and he was uh, water skiing without a life jacket because at that time it wasn't required, went down and never came up. And my dad yeah. told me some of those stories. You could get stuck on some fencing down there. Who knows what could happen? But like I said, that's why it freaked me out when I was a kid sitting in the water knowing that there could be bodies. Do we have any idea? I guess we don't. How many others could possibly be there? Because like you said, it was the Wild West back in Vegas in the 70s. Yeah, the, that's the interesting part about this is that that I, I have read in a couple of, of articles, uh, people speculating widely about hundreds and hundreds of people. Wow. Well, I, I just don't believe it. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's more likely that people... Um, you know, or we're not going to find a lot of folks in barrels uh, at the lake. 
you know, you're just not going to find it that way. Uh, it's different, you know, and, and again, it's not, we can talk about the mob connections to, and all of that, but the reality of it is, is that domestic violence uh, and those kinds of things, uh, you know, it's, it's the, that kind of violence is far more prevalent in every community uh, and, uh, and, and that has devastating effect. And sure. so you, you, you wouldn't necessarily uh, fill the lake with those missing people. They would just, they would just wind up dead in the desert. Uh, and they don't stay missing. That's the other part. Uh, you know, uh, your story about the construction uh, is, a, is one I've heard before, and, it, and it's fascinating and pretty disturbing, uh, you know, but the, the reality of it is, is that, is that, you know, a lot of folks uh, do, do come up missing uh, in Las Vegas because of the nature of the community. Someone who's just moved out here has, has no contacts, has not put down any roots. So if they wind up disappearing, uh, you know, no one would even, no one would even know really. Yeah. Well, it's stunning. I mean, it, and I know you've checked this website out. There's the website called the dough network, uh, org, and it is stunning how many people are found unidentified, especially women between like 18 and 25 and men or people who disappear. I mean, it is amazing how many people have never been seen again in whatever circumstance. So, uh, you know, we hope that they can get some closure. Now, when you talk to Johnny Pappas's, uh daughters, what did they say? Obviously, they're hoping for some closure. Uh, what did they say about it? I can't imagine having your father uh, go to show somebody his boat and never coming home. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Right. You know, and the, they alluded to that. Now, remember, this is a long time ago. And so there, there are many decades have passed. But they, they circle back to really the same sense that you know it, it's it's just at this point they would just like to know right you know they're they're they've got a few photos uh, uh from childhood uh mm. and from young adulthood uh you know they, they just they just would like to know they realized their dad was imperfect they realized all the you know the flaws and they've had uh, 50 years essentially to look back or almost 50 years to look back at it uh and um with sadness but right. their lives have gone on. Uh, but uh, in, I, I, I contacted uh, one of the grandchildren uh, who said the, the same thing. You know, we, we all remember this either as, you know, as adults or, or as small children. Uh, and, you know, and, and again, it's just every family deserves uh, that respect. Uh, and, uh, you know, including the remains in the barrel. It is a story and it's a quite sensational one. Uh, and it speaks to a certain era, but, um, but it's also, a, you know, a human being. Yeah. Can you imagine that being, uh, you know, I, I mean, can you imagine it being a, a Tony Spilatro thing? I mean, if Frank Collada were still alive, sadly, COVID took him, interviewed him many times. And I wish that he were still around so I could say, hey, that was, wasn't you, was it? I, mean, I don't know. I, I can't see that, that being the case, which makes it more sense that to me, that it would be Johnny Pappas just because of what he said, someone wants to see my boat, because you would have had to take a boat out a half a mile out to the lake in order to do that. And when you think about it, putting a body in a barrel and sinking it, putting a couple of holes in it, whatever, is a pretty effective way, especially in, a, like you said, a muddy lake like Lake Mead, pretty effective way to hide a body. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, it was, that's what, uh, as I, I wrote in the Indy a few weeks ago, it, 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 this whole story breaking reminded me of those days 
and and his disappearance and and how sudden it all was because you're talking about a guy who was very gregarious for all of his connections he was a very outgoing guy a big smile you know i remember as i wrote a, I mean, a crushing handshake he was a you know he was a, a little bit of a bulldog but uh but he was absolutely uh a, you know a character and vegas had plenty of them in those days had a, had lots and lots of uh, of characters guys who you know, were these and dozers more or less, uh, uh, but uh, uh, you know that was a different era. That's the, yeah, that's no, no question about it. Another person who's been brought up, whose name's been mentioned, is William Crespo. Yes, drug runner. Talk talk to me about him. Well, you know, the, the little I know about him is, is that Crespo was was involved in in the drug business, which is usually a, a ticket to a short life, uh, <laughs> and uh, he became a cooperating informant. And informants have, have, you know, have often done poorly in Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> there are a number of them over the years who uh, were killed, disappeared, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. or, I remember Frank Collada killed a guy right before he was going to testify. I remember he told me that story. So that way yeah, he was portrayed the, in casino and in, under different circumstances. But when he had to shoot him and then he ran out of, then he ran out of, you know, he, they, anyway, I won't. You know, it's kind of a grisly thing, but that was the reason that Frank killed him was because he was going to testify. Right. That was Sherwin Jerry Listener. Thank uh, you. Right. Exactly. Yeah, sorry, Jerry Listener was uh, uh, was uh, you know essentially a white collar criminal, uh, and uh, was called it before a grand jury. Tony was very paranoid in those days and didn't didn't wait to learn what Sherwin listener knew about him. So, right. Interesting. So William Crespo was one of those kind of guys. He was a, you know, a bit of a, so he said he was a turned informant. Correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was, that was an interesting uh, mention. I think that was in a review journal story because oh. I, it would be interesting to see if, if indeed it is that, that person uh, because it's uh, that was, that was, uh, you know, if so, a, a good uh, find by the reporter. Yeah, and he vanished apparently in 1983. So once again, we you, we, we don't even really know at this point. The uh, do we know the time span like late 70s to early 80s potentially? Correct, based on the clothes, the the Kmart clothes, and based yeah. on I mean, obviously they're not releasing all the information to us, but based on those kind of things, they're kind of guessing that's the time frame. Uh, yeah, uh, from mid 70s to early 80s, that that was their thought. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I know that, that uh, Mayor, Os former Mayor Oscar Goodman would joked uh, with an, an interviewer about how, you know, the, a mobster wouldn't wear cheap right. clothes, right. <laughs> which, which is, you know, really, quite frankly, baloney. Uh, you know, mobsters are low-level so guys. Is that what you're saying? Only, only the Hollywood mobsters and, and the John Gotti knockoffs uh, dress well. So, so many hoodlums <laughs> dress so poorly, you know, it's a, yeah, Frank a lot. I never saw Frank a lot. I dress uh, that great in the pictures. I've, I mean, when I met him first, he always looked nice, but it wasn't like, you know, you picture something in the Sopranos or anything like that. He was always right. kind of dressed like a normal guy, even back in his evening days. And also Tony Soprano, you know, his work clothes, so to speak, were, were not, uh, you know, Hollywood, uh, right. first, first cut tailored suit wasn't the godfather yeah no it wasn't it wasn't all the godfather it's a lot of poker jackets and uh, uh and uh, cheap shoes and, and right. kmart clothes if you will well plus you didn't want to stand out a lot of these guys just kind of wanted to be able to travel among us and not necessarily stand out everywhere they went right yeah and if you paraded around like marlon brando i think you might uh, <laughs> you might <laughs> you might get a following 
That's interesting. So what else do you think? So now that the FBI is involved and now the reason for that would be what? To be able to expand the search, to be able to expand a, da- a DNA database. What would be the point uh, of that? I, I tend to think that the, these kinds of things, it's pretty common to call in uh, uh, the tech people with the technology with the technology behind them mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the forensics. And, and certainly Metro's operation is not small, but it's not the FBI. Uh, that database and, and those, those folks are, are good at what they do, especially going back uh, you know, to those years where there wasn't a lot of DNA evidence kept. You know, this is, uh, if it's an early, if it turns out that it's an, uh, the person disappeared in the mid seventies, you know, it would be, uh, it'll be a harder, harder uh, fit, I think, for them. But you know that that's the, their business. So I mean, it'd be an interesting thing to see how it goes. Right. But if somebody, if they're able to extract, and I'm sure they're able to extract some kind of DNA out of a skeleton. It sounds like the skeleton is largely intact, based on what I've you know seen. I haven't seen the body, obviously, right. but pictures and things like that. The skeleton is largely intact. It would seem to me they could probably extract some DNA from that, and then be able to compare it with maybe living people, as you mentioned, or something like that. I just hope somebody gets closure from this because you know it's it, you know we can all laugh about it. He he. It's typical Vegas story. Yeah, body in a barrel. Vegas baby you know but you know the truth is somebody's lost a person they probably cared about and it's just you know you want them to get some closure yeah i i agree with that i think that's the that's the uh, the the smart way to think about it frankly uh after all the sensational businesses uh, fades away you've, you've still got a person so. Yeah. And we've got, we've got a mess out there at the lake. It is getting drier by the second. And my husband and I had a boat out there years ago. We got rid of it. I'm glad we did. We got rid of it when the quagga mussels came in because our boat was always in a slip and we did not, we have to scrape them off the boat. We said the heck with this, but right. it is getting crazy. I got a chance to fly in a private plane over the lake a few years ago. And I was stunned as a native, like you are about how, how you know, things that are, I mean, you wouldn't even want to have a boat out there. I don't think anymore because all of these things that are coming up now, all these hazards you can't right. even see, I mean, from day to day, it used to change from day to day when we had a boat, but it's far worse now trying to navigate because people forget the Lake Mead was desert with various, you know, hills and, you know, small mounds and things like that. And then it was covered with water. So it's not some big basin. And people may not know that if they don't have a boat out there. Right. Yeah. There definitely are obstacles now that weren't uh, present even just a few years ago. Uh, sure. You're right. It's, and even the even the, the places that are covered, the, the depth of the water is so much more shallow yeah. than it was. You know, it was things that were 70 or 100 feet. Uh, below the surface or now at the surface. Yeah, I remember going out there to the dam in 1983 when they were having to dump water over right. the spillways because sure. it was so full. And look where we are now. It's stunning. Yeah, really, really. Uh, that was a that was a great scene. If you, I'm glad you got to see it because it was one of those things that you just well, will likely never see again. Right. And watching the fish go over the dam and everything else getting caught up in the water as they had to release it because they had too much water. And here we are, you know, these years later and it's a mess. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with that. I, you know, I have grave concerns about whether or not we're going to be able to. I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work, what's going to happen. But that's another topic for another day. Listen, always great to talk to you. And, you. Uh, you know, everybody knows you. John L. Smith, of course, storied journalist for many, many decades. Find him at Nevada Independent and uh, they can follow you on Twitter. Right. Oh yeah, at uh, JL Nevada Smith. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter and uh, just you know every street corner will 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 write for food. 
I, you know, they, they try to get rid of us and they, you know, not necessarily you so much as me, but they, you know, they can't, I, they try, you know, and uh, anyway, so y'all check these things out. I put them up at HeidiHarris.com every weekday and I put them on YouTube and Vimeo and you can find me at Twitter, Heidiology. I'll put all that in the description so people can find us, but I really wanted to get your thoughts on it because you uh, know this town inside and out and uh, you're so well-respected and you're such a nice guy. You and I may not agree on everything, nah, most things, not everything, but that's okay. See, this is the thing, John, more people need to be like you and I, when they need to be able to sit down, have a conversation and get along, regardless of agreeing on every little detail of politics or life. I agree with you. And I, I, I wish you well. And it's, it's great to always to speak with you. See, that's how it should be. Why can't people who don't necessarily agree on every single issue have civil conversations and appreciate the fact that somebody might know something, you know, of value. I, you know, we've got to get more. I don't know. Don't even get me started on that. All right. Don't forget, you can catch me Sunday nights in St. Louis, 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. And you can also check out my headlines with Heidi videos up on Vimeo or YouTube. I know Vimeo is hard to search. So just, you know, that's Heidi Harris show for those channels, but just go to HeidiHarris.com. I post them every day. I also put them up at Heidi Harris Facebook page, Heidi Harris show, Facebook page, Heidi Harris show. So I know it's hard to keep track of all that. Just go to HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scott. Well.